We're going to hear from God's Word now as I uh, read Psalm 32 for us. So please grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for, this, for your word and we thank you for this time. We ask that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage and convict us according to your will. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the week, uh, one of the things my family and I were doing was um, we, we found ourselves discussing the, uh, the Pixar movies and which is the, the, the best Pixar movie. And uh, I wonder if, um, I, I'm guessing in a group like this that there's, there's got to be opinions on this matter. So Mark's hand went straight up. Which is the best Pixar movie? Wally. -E. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing some shakes of hair. I'm seeing some yes and nice. Cars. I think Cars is, is, is one that people either have a love or hate relationship with. Um, the Incredibles, that's got to be up there, hasn't it? Toy Story, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that someone mentioned it. Yes, look, I, I think Toy Story has, has got to be up there, if not, you know, the top. Probably, in my opinion, I'm, I'm not wanting to create division here this morning, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Probably also The Incredibles is, is up there. It's, it's one of my favourites. But there's a, great, um, there's a great line towards the end of Toy Story. There's lots of great lines in Toy Story. There's a great line, and we're going to watch a little bit of it in a moment, but just to kind of set the scene, Woody's been trying to rescue Buzz, but the other toys think that, that Woody is just a jealous psychopath who wants to, to do away with Buzz and reclaim his position as top toy in Andy's room. But then the toys come to realise their mistake. So let's, uh, let's have a watch of this. No, please, you don't understand. Buzz is out there. we got to help him. No. Toss him over, boy. Look at that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
have guilt. There we go. Now, you're all uh, keen to watch the rest of Toy Story now, aren't you? If you're watching this online, do not pause the YouTube and go watch Toy Story. You can do it later. Or you can watch it later. It's a Sunday afternoon job. Watch uh, Toy Story. It's a great moment there where the toys realise their mistake, that Woody was telling the truth, and then Rex the dinosaur comes out with this line. Great, now I have guilt. <laughs> Poor Rex the terrifying Tyrannosaurus. He's a sensitive soul. Uh, and it's funny in a movie, but it does tap into this idea of, of guilt, which is something that, uh, that Psalm 32 raises for us. And guilt is something that we all, that we all know, that we all experience in some way. We, we know what it is to have guilt. We know what it is to feel guilty about something. And yet guilt is often actually considered also, can be considered as well unnecessary and perhaps even unhealthy to have these feelings of guilt. And so sometimes instead of, instead of there being a problem that we ought to feel guilty about, feeling guilty it can be thought of to be the problem that we ought to get rid of. If only I could get rid of these, these feelings of guilt. A person racked by guilt is, is considered unhealthy. You know, they have a, a low view of themselves or they have low self-esteem, etc. And so such is our sometimes modern, enlightened outlook, that guilt is something to be squashed, is something to be done away with, it's something to be ignored, to be deconstructed. Uh, compare our sort of modern, enlightened view of guilt with uh, that of a man from the 16th century, Martin Luther, great reformer who described himself before he, um, before he discovered God's grace to him in Christ. He, he, he wrote this, or he talked about that time in these, these words. He says, I used to be contrite, and make a list of my sins. I confessed them again and again. I scrupulously carried out the penances which were allotted to me. And yet my conscience kept nagging. It kept telling me, you fell short there. You were not sorry enough. You left that sin off your list. Now, I'm not saying that, um, that we should be like Martin Luther at this point. But just notice what a different attitude towards guilt this conveys. And it raises the question for us, and that is, what should be our attitude toward guilt? Should I feel guilty about sin? And what if I don't feel guilty about sin? Should I feel guilty about that? I mean, should I feel guilty about not feeling guilty about sin? Is that a problem? King David, the, uh, the author of Psalm 32, he felt the weight of sin. He felt the reality of falling short of God's standard. Pick it up there in verse 3. Look with me, verse 3. He writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David describes his, his guilt as, as oppressive. He likens it to having his, his strength sapped by the heat of summer. Now, we've um, not had a particularly hot summer, but we, we all know what it is to, to have your, your, your strength sapped away by heat, perhaps humidity, particularly today. Uh, guilt can be like that. It, it can sap our strength. On the other hand, perhaps we actually become desensitised to sin so that we, we don't feel our guilt like this. Whichever the case, the, the thing is that, that whether or not we feel it, we are guilty. Sin is a, a reality regardless of feeling. Uh, guilt is not just a feeling. 
I mean, I think we often think of it as a feeling. Uh, you know, I feel guilty because I, I've, I've broken my New Year's resolution and eaten an entire block of chocolate in one sitting. Or, you know, we, we may have feelings of guilt, but guilt is more than feelings. Guilt is actually an objective reality. I mean, think of a convicted criminal in a courtroom. They may or may not feel guilty, but that's not what matters. What matters is the objective truth of whether or not they are, in fact, guilty. I mean, can you imagine how it would go down if the defence lawyer got up and, and, and spoke to the jury and said, look, guys, you're, trying to, you're wondering whether or not my client is guilty. Let me just settle the matter for you. He doesn't feel guilty at all. So it's okay. I mean, let's stop being negative and dwelling on the past with these negative, this negative talk of guilt. You know, let's free ourselves from all those negative emotions and move on. He's, he's free from feelings of guilt, so that should be good enough. I mean... That would be outrageous. See, just because someone may feel guilty or may not feel guilty, it doesn't mean that they're not guilty. Sin and guilt are realities irrespective of our feelings. And they're realities for all of us in various ways. So what do we do? Well, we can keep silent about our sin. We can try to deny it. We can try to cover it up. And we can be pretty good at doing this, actually. We can develop all sorts of ways of covering it up and just uh, excusing, making excuses to ourselves, justifying it, laugh it off, make a joke about it, shift the blame to someone else, rationalise it in some way. And David tried keeping silent. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He kept silent and his guilt was upon him and he knew it and it weighed on him. Now, I don't know, but perhaps we do this. Perhaps we keep quiet in our sin and are slow to admit that we're wrong, even admitting it to ourselves, let alone to someone else or to God. It's easy to keep quiet. The other thing to do, which David eventually came to, is verse 5, to acknowledge our sin to God, to not cover up our iniquities. As David says in verse 5, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What does it mean to confess our sins? Well, it's not just saying words. It's not just rattling through a prayer of confession sort of mean, meaninglessly. Uh, confession is, well, it's, it's about an attitude. It's an attitude, firstly, that acknowledges our sin, that faces up to its reality. That instead of pretending that we don't sin, it, it acknowledges that we sin. And then it recognises not just its reality, but also that that's a problem, that, that we're broken, that we're ruined before God because of our sin. So, so confession is an attitude of acknowledging our sin, recognising the problem, owning up to it, and admitting it to God. Because actually God is the one that we have wronged. See, we may, and, and in fact we do, sin against one another, and it's right and important to, to confess our sins to one another, to seek forgiveness from one another, and, and we may find that hard to do sometimes, but actually our sin is first and foremost against God. And so we must admit our sins to him. For example, if I, if I whack Mark on the head, uh, I have sinned against him, and uh, I've wronged him, and I, I perhaps ought to be fearful of the, the consequences of such action. Mark may whack me on the head as a result. I've wronged him but I've also sinned against God. 
I've disregarded what God says to me. I've broken his laws saying that I should love others. I have, in effect, said to God, you know what? I know better. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do things my way. So I've harmed both my relationship with my brother and, more fundamentally, with God. And so confession of sin is confession to God. And David confessed his sins to the Lord. And then look at the end of verse 5. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Forgiveness. Notice the, the beautiful simplicity of this. The gift of forgiveness before God is simply given to those who ask for it. Free gift of God. How blessed we are to be forgiven. As it says in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Our sin, our, our stepping over the line, our breaking of God's law, our, our rebellion, our transgression can be forgiven. Our sins can be covered, gone, dealt with, such that the Lord does not count our sin against us. I think, it, I think it can be hard for us to fathom God's perfect forgiveness. I think it's hard for us because we are so often imperfect in, when it comes to forgiveness. We, find it hard, we can find it hard to forgive others and we can be more inclined to, to hang on to the sins of others rather than to cover them over. And it can be hard for us, therefore, to, 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 to grapple with God's forgiveness. But God is not like us. God is is able to cover over our sin completely. His forgiveness is a free gift. And it's free to us because it has already been paid for by his son, our Lord Jesus. In Isaiah 53, those familiar words probably to many of us that speak of the servant of the Lord who will come, who, who will take upon himself our sin and guilt, says there in, in Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is this great servant of the Lord who has taken the punishment for our sin and, and died the death that we deserved. And so forgiveness is now freely offered to those who ask for it. So then how should we respond? Well, verse 6 tells us, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. The response is simply pray. Talk to God. Don't keep silent. Don't deny the reality of our sin, but confess it to God and pray. What God expects is, is humility and honesty. As it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So pray to God while you can and he will answer and deliver you. As verse 6 continues, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble 
and surround me with songs of deliverance. In the face of, of judgment, God is our protector, our deliverer, our saviour. Now, that doesn't mean that, that nothing bad will happen to us in life, but it does mean that our standing before God is secure, that we are forgiven at peace with him, that he no longer counts our sin against us. But verse 10, his unfailing love surrounds us. We're blessed, loved by God, both now and for all eternity. And so our, our response is to, to come to God, to pray to him, to confess to him. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God's, God's word lays it out plainly for us. Come to God willingly. Don't be dragged kicking and screaming as verse 9 continues. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. It's pretty blunt. Don't be like a dumb animal. God's word instructs you and teaches you, so listen to him and come to him willingly. And if we do, then we can do what verse 11 says. We can rejoice in the Lord. Again, this doesn't mean that life is, is always rosy. In fact, this psalm is testament to the fact that it's not. I mean, for one thing, we sin, others sin, and even the great godly man, King David, sinned, and sin wreaks all sorts of havoc. But praise God, rejoice in him. We can confess our sins to him, and he forgives the guilt of our sin. The Lord's solid, unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. And so by way of conclusion or implication, let me ask, are you keeping quiet in your sin and guilt? Do you need to come before God and pray to, to confess your sin and ask for his forgiveness? It may be that for, for some listening today, you've never really done that before or never really done it with openness and honesty and seriousness. Or maybe for some, it, it, this is something that you need to to come back to God and seek his forgiveness. Friends, today is a good day to do that. As we embark on the, the new year ahead before us with all its, all its concerns, all its potential, all its uncertainty, we can face that with, with honesty before God, with forgiveness, with joy in him, with joy in his unfailing love. So let me invite you, invite all of you to, to pray. And in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. As a, well, as a response to Psalm 32, we're going to pray the words of a prayer of confession. Again, not just to sort of rattle through them mindlessly, but actually to, to come before God and to confess our sins to him. And if that's something that you want to do, then pray this, knowing that in Jesus you have forgiveness because he has died for you. Let's come before God and pray together this prayer on the screen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbours 
and to live for your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.